We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And Jared Vanderbilt has signed an extension with the Lakers, reportedly four years for $48 million with a player option in the final season. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And I'd love to talk with you guys also about the idea where we have several players on multi-year contracts now for the first time in a very, very long time. So I wanted to talk about just that overall idea of kind of having a group that you're committed to. So Darius, first thoughts, man, you're a big Vando guy. He's the clearly the second best defensive player on the Lakers. Thoughts on an extension for Vando? I just think this is good business for the Lakers. I think it's good business for Jared Vanderbilt, second round pick. And so these guys don't make a lot of money in the early parts of their careers. And Vando was already a guy who was looked at as being on a value contract. I think it's very good for the Lakers to not let him get into unrestricted free agency next offseason. Mike, this is a trend, and you've talked about this a bunch, just teams not letting players they like get into free agency because the business of the NBA now is keeping the players you like, and then if you want to do something with them, you could create avenues for a trade. So I just think from a business standpoint, it's good news for both sides. Pete, you said that I'm a Vando guy and I am a Vando guy. Like I want guys with motor. I want guys that play hard defensively. Vanderbilt plays with a certain amount of toughness. He he will run through screens. He will run through players. He will play on a bum ankle or a sore knee or shoulder hurts. He just gets right back up and he's out there competing as hard as he can. Like there's immense value, I think, in those types of players in general. But I think especially around Anthony Davis and LeBron James, which, Mike, I think that that's a point that, that you've made a bunch of times, just the types of players you want around LeBron and, and AD. We talk a lot about shooting and playmaking, and Vando isn't necessarily that, but he's the other part of stuff that I think you really want around LeBron and AD, which is tenacity and toughness and defense and intangibles. And Vando brings that stuff um, in abundance, I think. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that... Before a season starts, and especially when you have a long playoff run, 
it's always important to take stock of not just evaluating the last thing that we saw, uh, which was him in that Denver series and at times getting played off the floor. And, you know, really it came down to his inability to hit the corner three and the way that Denver was playing. And just that particular matchup, they were a little bit of a bigger team from the three, four, five spot. So I, I've been over indexing in the other way, kind of thinking about what Vando did well uh, since he got to the team. And at the same time, you know, he had kind of played himself out of the rotation in Utah uh, for, and that's, that was a team that wasn't necessarily trying to win as much later in the season. But, you know, when there were times earlier in the season where he was great, and then there were times where it seemed like defenses had adjusted to the way that he was playing. And, you know, his net rating wasn't as good as you would have thought. And he wasn't playing as well as he was the previous year in Minnesota. So in short, he's a talented but kind of complicated player. uh, And I think that he can help in certain ways and, and, to have him on this deal, though, it's not one of those deals you look at and think like this is going to look really bad uh, in a couple of years. And therefore, it's a good deal. Uh, and I think that the business aspects that Darius brought up are important, too. So, Pete, before I kick it to you, just one thought on that generally with these contracts is that the, the way the teams are building these days, you're in some ways thinking about how can we be as good as we can right now? And then also how what are the ways to make a big jump to get better? And from a Lakers standpoint, without the draft capital of some of the teams that have a ton, they have to be thinking, well, can we combine certain salaries if there is a trade to be made at a certain point? And now they have the they have take Vando's contract as part of that, not specifically. They have several type of contracts in that range that they can combine um, to to essentially move up from a talent perspective without having to sacrifice some of the core pieces. So uh, it's a. A lot of things go into it, Pete, but uh, basketball-wise and business-wise, I like it for the Lakers. Yeah, let's hang on the business and team-building aspect for a while because we're going to talk a lot this year about Vando's fit on the team. I think that like the Christian Wood signing, I think Vando might be the biggest beneficiary of that because one of the things that uh, – like I said, I'll get into the the basketball stuff, right? But uh, from a team building perspective, exactly what you're saying, Mike, having several guys on reasonable contracts that are young, that can play, that's something that – I mean, ideally, you keep that squad together and that you get all of the benefits of continuity that can like that's one of the things I don't think people realize the degree that last season was was so remarkable is it's hard to get that far when you're just kind of meeting each other and thrown together at the last minute. And so some of the complications that come with Vando's game that you were talking about, Mike, I think that having some repetition and having some, OK, let's try this. Let's do that. Let's try this personnel grouping. OK, let's try that one. We didn't have time to do that. And we had to win games at the end of last season in ways that I think it's much more much more doable right this season and so that idea though D of having a bunch of solid players in their 20s I think that you know my thoughts on future first especially lottery protected ones being super overrated like having a guy that you already know can play in the NBA which is not true of that future first that's on a reasonable deal I think that the Lakers are in a spot where they have a great deal of flexibility And I think that if we time traveled back a year ago and told Laker fans like in a year, you'll be thrilled with the state of the roster, both short term and long term. They would have looked at you like you had two or three heads. But that's where we are right now. And it's a great place to be in. Yeah. So I think sticking from the business standpoint, there's essentially four types of contracts in the NBA. There's the max contract, 
which is the there there are three levels of maxes, right? There's the 25% max, which is for a certain number of years of experience. There's the 30% max, which is the next band up in terms of years of experience. And then there is the 35% max, which is the most that you can make, right? And guys can make more than 35% of the cap based off of raises if, but that's too much minutia, right? And so there's the max con track. There are a couple of different types of mid-level contracts, right? And so there's the full mid-level. So that's one type of mid-level. And that's around like 11 or $12 million. And then there is like the taxpayer mid-level, which is now I think around $5 million. And so I'm going to separate those out. Those used to be a little bit closer in monetary right. amount. Yeah, that's a different player a you're difference. getting normally. Yeah. Yes. And then there is, and I will throw in like the biannual exception and lump that into like that that smaller mid-level because those are about the same amount of money. Like what Tory and Prince makes is not too far from the taxpayer mid-level. And then there's the minimum, right? And so those max contracts with the way that the cap is growing, the 25% max is now going to be over $30 million. Like, and so we, we're going to have sticker shock on a lot of these numbers, like, oh my goodness, Jalen Brown's going to make $60 million in a couple of seasons. Yeah, this well, always $60 million is still going to be like 30% of the cap. It seems like a huge number, mm -hmm. but it's like actually just 30% of the cap. This is the history it's of just, the NBA, right? Just a couple of years ago, it was Mike Conley got what, you know, and yes, then a few exactly, years later, right. it's like, you know, a lot of guys making that. I heard someone talking about the NFL the other day and they're just like, yeah, the biggest contract in the NFL is just the next quarterback contract. Right. And so it's right. like the quarter one quarterback sides for this and then the next quarterback sides the market. And, yeah. and he's the next highest paid guy. So there's those four types of contracts. Right. And the Lakers have typically operated as an under the cap team. Right. Because they have always been trying to be a free agency player. And when you're an under the cap team, you do not have your exceptions. Right. You don't get. Like exceptions, think of it this way. Exceptions are made for teams that are above the cap because you need an exception in order to sign a player to a contract that is not a minimum. And so the Lakers have typically not had guys in that upper mid-level tier band. They mm -hmm. have not had players that make 11, $12 million a year. They typically had one of them. And they had that player because of Danny Green, basically. Mm -hmm. If you remember, they were chasing right. max players. They didn't get a max player. And so they ended up with Danny Green. Danny Green turned into Dennis Schroeder. And after Dennis Schroeder left, that contract slot went away. The only other times that it was different was when we were like re-signing a guy like Kuz or KCP, who, who were in yes. that 13, 15 type they of range. They were. And then they got traded for Russ. And yes. then that yep. was that. Now the Lakers have several guys who are in that range like Gabe Vincent is in that range they just use their mid-level to sign Vincent Rui is sort of in that range he makes at the upper end of yeah. that range he's in like the 16 17 million dollar range Austin is in that range he's making about 15 million dollars a year and now Bando is in that range and players it's going to be more rare that players that you're going to have more than like two players that are in that range, unless you're re-signing your own guy to sort of a value contract. And I happen to think that those sort of contracts are going to be valuable because you can, the old Pau Gasol trade, Pete, was a, here's a guy who makes a certain amount of money 
right? And then we're going to stack another guy who makes a little bit less money than that. And then another guy who makes a little bit less money than that. And then here's a pick and a rookie. And that's how you used to get to the salary number. And the Lakers are going to have that ability moving forward to say, here is a good player on a value contract. Here is something else that you might like. And here's a pick. It's it's sort of like, like, here's a full plate of food for you. And this is all of these ingredients and they make up your meal. And, and I think they'll be able to make some good deals if that's the route that they decide to go with this. And, and, and so that fits into Vando and that fits into overall team building as well. And just a quick a quick pick future, uh, like to tr- I think I have this accurate. It's, it's it's sort of complicated keeping track of all the future ones, but so 2024 first to New Orleans, they can defer that to 2025, right? Depending on if if let's say the Lakers have a great year next year, um, and New Orleans still has some picks coming in, they could say, "Ah, oh, you keep this one, we'll take your next year's." Um, then 2027, of course, from the Westbrook trade goes to Utah, and then they have like four second round picks going out in future years, and then two Clippers picks coming in. So essentially it's they're not in the spot where they were a couple of years ago where it seems like the whole of the future is going to New Orleans just one more uh, to pay that one off and then of course you have the Utah one but there there will be at least one if they were going to make a trade now next year they'll have at least two first round picks and potentially a third one could come in so it's there will be a package as Darius just alluded to that the Lakers could make for a star type player uh, but Maybe they won't need to, um, depending on how this roster evolves heading into next year, Pete. And I love that point, too, that the Lakers have one type of a couple of different type of assets, quote unquote, to offer in that like some teams are going to want. And this is this is something that I think we'll see more of is like a good player that I already know is a good player on a reasonable contract. Other teams will want three future first, or there are a few teams around the league that are stockpiling those that'll be like, hey, I got this really good player, but give me five of them things, you know, that are in a couple are lottery protected. And we are not going to be players in those types of trades or, you know, the teams that are dealing those type of guys. But we're seeing a situation with the Blazers in Miami with the Dame Talks, where this is an example of, you know, kind of the negotiating of when a team sends out a player like that, what do they want in return? Having a degree of versatility of what you can send back, I think, is really valuable. So let's take take a break. I'd love to keep up this team building conversation. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think that in the modern day, gentlemen, we speak about team building a lot in the context of contracts. And, and we just did that. And what's your how many stars can you get by with? And have we have, have we kind of devolved back to a two star build versus the moment that it seemed like everybody was going for three star and how are teams trying to acquire guys? But I do want to mention that within that, none of that really matters if you don't have enough good players to just get by. Yep. And this is where, you know, getting Vanderbilt in that trade uh, where he was kind of a, an underused asset, at least based on the fact that Utah had some bigs and Markinen and Kessler that, you know, weren't the, weren't the ideal fit for him to be next to um, in, in a sort of a front court moving forward. And so they were able to get him at, I think a really uh, almost as like a throw in uh, in that trade. And now he redeemed some of his value just by playing on the court, even if in the Western conference finals there, the limits of that value came, to, uh, came into fruition. So, how do the Lakers now use what they have in Vanderbilt on the court? And then, you know, how do we on the outside look at that as a, as a part of a team building plan moving forward? And I suppose the shortest answer is just you, you don't have to do it all right now. Uh, like, yeah, get them on. If, as long as you can get them on a reasonable deal, then it's not really kicking the can down the road, but it's you give your coach a chance to see what the rotation looks like. And my thing, my thinking is that by, you know, December, we should have a pretty good idea of what pieces fit the best within this group. Once you integrate Gabe Vincent, for example, once you integrate uh, Torian Prince, once you see uh, how Rui looks after his first offseason um, with the Lakers, what what you see, how you see how Austin has really evolved his game from Team USA and from that great playoff run. Like, and what what does D'Lo do coming back uh, from his first season with the Lakers the second time around? And and so I don't know the I don't know the answer yet. I don't know which one of these guys are going to be. Uh, hey, that 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 player should certainly be here because of what he offers on that marginal deal. But the team building that's gone into this is just so, such a far cry from last season, from the season before, where going into the season, you just knew that it wasn't going to work. Or at least you likely thought that it wasn't going to uh, based on the fit and based on the personnel and even the contracts. And that's a good place to be in, but job not done. You know, I don't know that this team right now yep. is ready to win the title. Uh, there are still some holes that we've discussed, and, and this signing doesn't change that. But it might help uh, as a potential solution um, if things don't work out. Just one last piece of Vando contract and team building stuff. We talked a lot about trades right right now, like um, and potential trades down the line. We should make it clear that Vando is not trade eligible this season. And so based off of the extension rules and because he extended his contract and the nature of his raises, I think, make it so that he's not trade eligible for six months, which is past the trade deadline. And and so just one piece of business around this. If you're jumping on the trade machine after listening to the Laker Film Room podcast, (laughs) do not include Jared Vanderbilt's name in there. I think all of this, like the points about continuity and on court play 
and roster building, those are all places where I think Vanderbilt is an interesting pivot point to me, Pete. And, and I wanted to kick it to you here because you talked a lot about like building on the fly and learning each other. One of the things that happens too that players who have weaknesses in their games, as Vanderbilt does, we often talked about like accommodating for them and learning how to accommodate for them. But yes. those sorts of players, if they're workers, they also start to determine like, where are my shots going to come from? What's needed from me? What are the expectations for me within the context of this scheme versus another scheme? Like in Minnesota, for example, Vanderbilt wasn't asked to shoot a lot of corner three pointers. Um, that became more of a thing for him in Utah, right? And so now, though, and I think that that's probably going to continue for him in Los Angeles if he's going to be more of if he's going to have more utility offensively. But learning that and then being able to apply that in an offseason to me is important for Vanderbilt, not just for the Lakers coaching staff of like, oh, well, how can we find ways to keep him on the floor for Vanderbilt? It's just like, well, what do I have to do to actually stay on the floor with this particular team? That's a two way street. And the hope is that the coaches are finding more ways to accentuate his values. But the player is trying to find more ways to diversify or hone yeah. his skill set in order to meet things in the middle. So I kick it to you there because I think improvement needs to come from both sides if we're going to optimize Jared Vanderbilt. I think that's absolutely the case. That said, like the idea of Vando working on his corner three, I don't think that should be baked into the we need you to be able to do this in order to stay on the floor, right? Like to me, that's found money or gravy, however you want to want to say it. Like if he does, we are in, in business. But I also think we're in a position roster wise now to where it, it's not it's not as um, his his weaknesses are not as harmful. And I go to the idea of jump shooting, right? This has been something I've been talking about for a couple of years in that. I've wanted jump shooters, but I also very much agree with Mike's point that you got to be able to defend. If that's the only thing that you're doing out there, like that does not provide enough value in and of itself. But there are three different types of jump shooters, the way that I see it, at least. You've got your catch and shoot guys that need to have their feet set and squared to the basket in order to be effective. You've got your Matt Ryans and Duncan Robinsons who can fly around a screen, you know, and who can have like lateral movement in their shot and still hit threes. That's that are like the highest degree of difficulty type of threes. And then you have guys somewhere in between that can hit threes off of relocations and handoffs. And just like they don't have to have their feet set in order to make that type of jumper. And that is where I'm really excited about this Lakers team. And I think it helps Vando out a ton. And so in that prism of shooting jump jumpers when you're kind of moving left or right and having to relocate, that's probably the biggest place of upgrade going from Dennis to Gabe Vincent. And y'all know I'm a big Dennis fan, but in this specific aspect, like Vincent can hit off of relocations. It's probably the biggest upgrade in going from Troy Brown Jr. to Torian Prince is the ability to hit these. Troy, Troy could do this more than, than Dennis could for sure. And then Christian Wood adds a degree of just taking that to a whole new level in that we haven't had a five who can do that from the perimeter, what he does like TB would hit those at, at a decent clip, but he'd only take, you know, like one a game. And so the way this ties back to Vando, there's 
there's this whole defensive strategy in the NBA right now where Jaron Jackson Jr. is a good example of this, where they will put him on the guy that shoots the shoots threes the worst and then have him basically not guard him. And the idea is that he's going to lock off anything in the paint and that if you give up threes to this eh, so-so type of three-point shooter, so what, right? One of the offensive counters that started to emerge over the last year is you put that guy in the corner and you skip it, right? So you're on, you got the ball on one side of the court, say the left side of the court, Vando's in that right corner. You skip it over to Vando. Miami does this with Bam a lot where they'll put him in a corner and he's not a three point shooting threat from the, the corner. And then that immediately flows into a handoff with the guy who's the next position up. And what happens is the guy that's guarding quote unquote Vando or Bam, who's actually in the paint, the player that's in that JJJ position. All of a sudden, they've got a long-ass closeout from the middle of the paint where they're roaming to get to a three-point shooter, but you got to have the jump shooters to be able to make that shot. And so that, to me, is like the other positions, D, like being able to space the floor, allow Vando to not have to be able to make that corner three in ways where it's just a luxury if he's able to make that. And so I'm so excited to see what this coaching staff does with the jump shooting talent that they have. I think it's going to be super beneficial for Vando's net rating, Mike, at the end of the day that we've seen kind of a cap on like the offensive rating that his lineups can can reach. I think that having that jump, like having guys who can shoot off of that, like really reduces the harm of that. His net rating after the All-Star break was about like just under one, like plus 0.7. And it was towards the lower end of the guys that played a lot, uh, but of course still, you know, still fine. And then you get into the playoffs and he had some really good games. Like, remember the Memphis series where he actually hit a couple of threes and it, they just seemed like complete backbreakers? Oh, yeah. Um, to, you know, so that's the type of that's the type of thing where if this guy's hitting threes, then we're just exactly. not going to win the game. Exactly. Doing. And, and that's the point, I think, where you want to get to, Pete, where it's not going to cost you. Uh, everything but it's it's still you know it's it's additive but not necessary and that's how that's sort of how those felt I'm kind of back to thinking though part of the reason why I think his net rating wasn't as ideal um, in that stretch is that it was a lot of times either no LeBron or no AD and then you're just a little bit too small and you're kind of asking him to be a big uh, where to me he's more of like the a Swiss army knife wing in some ways. And if you're, if you're trying to ask him to be big because either LeBron's not there to, to be big and rebound and and back up AD um, inside and play with that effort, or just AD's not on the floor period, then where is his place, you know, and what, and what is his, his best utility. So I'm kind of interested in what Christian Wood does uh, with, with Vanderbilt. And is he, is he kind of a player who, Although not a big in the classic sense of like how AD is going to be a defensive anchor, he he is a good rebounder for the most part. Would uh, he's long, he can block some shots, and in a regular season game, less so in a playoff setting, uh, maybe that's a that those are some skills there, especially with his shooting that then allow Vanderbilt to dive, you know, to dive to the rim. And what actually is a pretty good passer um, in certain aspects yeah. where he can see over the defense and kind of make that make that extra play because he's drawing attention. So. What are this is kind of a a question back to you guys, but what is the group and, and Darius? I know this is a, a, a passion project of yours always. Uh, what is the fit with him and starting versus coming off the bench? Who are the key players outside of kind of LeBron AD that Vanderbilt should be on the floor with to maximize what his skill set is? So let's go to break here and let's talk a little bit more about some lineup construction stuff.
Mike, these are great questions. And I've been on the Start Vando train and almost all of the reporting coming out from folks who are like sources close to the team or my particular uh, insight around like what I'm hearing. And I'm not using mocking voices, by the way. It's just like this is the reporting that happens like during the offseason um, is that Vanderbilt won't start. It'll be Rui who starts. And if that's the case, I agree with what Pete's saying around building out jump shooting talent. One of the things I was thinking about when Pete was talking was like how the Warriors use Draymond is also very similar to this or how the Warriors use their bigs in general. Like Looney is not a shooting big either. And what you do with those guys is you use them as screeners on and off the ball in order to optimize shooting, like mm-hmm. um, for the the wing and guard shooting talent that exists on the team. And the Lakers struggled with that as well when playing against the Warriors. It's like then you start to switch a little bit more, and then are those and then mm-hmm. are those other players capable of keeping up with the guard? It's like it creates a domino effect. And Vanderbilt yes, can have a key role in those sorts of lineups. So yeah, like. I can envision Vanderbilt playing with like Wood and Rui, for example, and then Austin and then potentially Gabe. And it's just like that might slot Vanderbilt in a place too, where it's just like, okay, well, who's the other team's best wing? And like, let's maybe hide Austin defensively a little bit, right? Like always trying to optimize Pete, like what the strength is of Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt's strength is especially just like, look, whoever's the best sort of wing offensive player right now, like you got that guy and hopefully we can build out enough defensive talent in on the rest of the court to complement what he's doing while also having enough offensive talent to say, like, we're going to burden share the shooting here in order to let you be a dunker spot player or a screening or a handoff player. Yeah, that then that becomes a question of like, when do you deploy that guy? That's that's a great gift to have on your team of like, oh, whoever their main guy is on the perimeter, go get him and be able to do that credibly a bunch of against a whole bunch of different types of player. That's part of the reason why I'm advocating for Vando off of the bench. I think that group needs that more than the starters do. And this this will be a continuing conversation i think too about the starting three spot but that group to me the 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 place we need to be most stout mike is when it's lebron and wood at the 4-5 that lineup that hypothetical lineup that you brought up there d didn't have lebron or ad in it which i don't think that you sure. advocate right um although that's going to be a discussion too i do think that there we can put some lineups out there this year where neither of those guys are on the floor and they can still actually create some offense to be continued. We'll talk about that later. But that to me, Mike, is the spot that needs just the most reinforcements. And like I said earlier, Vando is clearly our second best defensive player. It's actually an interesting thought exercise to be like, who's the Lakers third best defensive player on this roster? Um, And so that's part of the reason why it's almost like, you know how on offense, usually if your best offensive player is out of the game, you're going to want your second best guy to be in the game because if both of them are out, it, it causes some complications. I think there's some degree of that defensively, too. And in if LeBron and Wood lineups are going to need some sort of uh, bolstering defensively, Vando, to me, is the man for that job. This is a tougher one for me. We had the pod earlier this season, or earlier this summer, just about why Darius and I, I think specifically, would start Vando. And having 
not talked to the coaches yet. I've been resisting the urge to just text several of them and find out all these answers, but I'm kind of, I'm liking to, I like to build into camp without doing that and sort of let it all come a little bit more organically, like the first couple of days of practice. Yeah. Uh, and I just think that we're talking about the best player on the perimeter or the best, like, like who is the assignment that you would sick Vander, uh, Vanderbilt on? And that just doesn't to me typically have as much authority when it's off the bench. Uh, like when, mm. wh- like, why are you spotting the other team's best guard or best wing uh, minutes to start the game against a lesser defender uh, against somebody who's going to be not focused as much just on stopping that player with a D on the court. If that team's best player is a, if their best offensive player is a center or even a power forward, like a D will either be on them or will be affecting them um, at the rim. But if it's Austin and D'Lo or even like Gabe Vincent, neither one of those guys is going to take a bigger wing. Uh, and neither mm-hmm. one of them is particularly adept at at defending. Well, Austin can be really good at going off screens, but, but still like a, a Steph or a John Morant or um, that type of a player. So I'm still wondering then who is going to be guard. If it's Rui, for example, is Rui going to be defending Devin Booker um, or, and, and then we're forcing either Austin or D'Angelo Russell to defend the best quicker guards or the best guards that are good at coming off screens. I, I just see that to me as a more, a fire that's more, that's better put out by somebody like Vanderbilt than what you would gain from having a Rui in, in on the other end of the court. And, and I have not yet been able to get past that part um, of the starting lineup theory with Vanderbilt and, and or Rui or whoever else it would be. Pete, coaches typically do not like to switch their starting lineups. They typically uh-huh. like to like keep. I've been thinking about this lately. I was going to bring this up. I, I, I can't this wait to hear first what, what you have to say. But I swear, I swear, I would love Darwin to be like, this is a Vando game. Yes, yes, yes. And I'd love for him to be like, this is a Rui game. So, for example, first two like, games of the season are Den- Bro, first two games of the season are Denver and Phoenix. This illustrates the point. Like, go ahead. Here's four teams. This is like the movie Speed pop quiz, right? (laughs) Here's four teams. Who would you start next to LeBron at AD against these four teams? The Knicks, the Timberwolves, the Suns, and the Pelicans. Who would you start next to those, assuming a fully healthy lineup, Right. Like so against the Pelicans, for example, Zion and Brandon Ingram are both playing. Yeah. And so is Valentunas. And against the Knicks, their front line is Randall's playing and so Mm -hmm. is Barrett. And then against um, whatever other teams I said, I can't even remember now. But but Minnesota, it's 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 the two big lineup. Yes. Right. With Towns and then. Just on down the line, because I'm interested in this specific idea. So this is this to me is the strongest point of the Vando should start, right, is that there are going to be certain teams where asking Rui to move laterally and and stick with big ball handlers. So these are the, you know, the guys that are, that have size, but can also handle the rock a bit. I think that we are, that there is a fundamental problem in that for sure. Um, 
And that was what I was uh, what I was delighting in is that's something that happens in baseball, right? We don't really see this in basketball, but uh, basketball and hockey are the two sports that have like really long regular seasons as opposed to the as opposed to the NFL, for example. And in baseball, you'll see this has been going on for 100 years is, you know, you'll have left handed hitters face a right handed pitcher. And then if you're facing a lefty pitcher. You might have different guys start, right? And certain positions on the floor that have sort of a, a platooning. That's what they call it in baseball. I've always wondered if that could be a thing in the NBA. I'm not going to be like upset with Darwin if he doesn't do a thing that has like very little precedence in, in NBA history. But it is a thought that I've had is that we have these two distinctive options at the three spot that I think are the correct answer against different teams. Because that could give you another four teams, D, that it's like, yeah, Rui should be the guy that starts against that team, yeah. right? And no, I think Rui should start against Minnesota. He should start against the Knicks. That's like, right. You should be de- he should be defending Julius Randle so that LeBron doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. He should be defending Carl Anthony Towns so LeBron or AD doesn't have to. Just like against the Pelicans, he shouldn't be defending Brandon Ingram right. and being in ball screens against this sort of shifty big wing. Like that's, that's right. not what Rui does does best. He could lose 20 pounds, 25 pounds. He's still not going to be the sort of like angular athlete that Vanderbilt is in that's that right. way. So we haven't talked a ton about Prince uh, as a potential starter either. Uh, and in that that almost seems like, wow, that's a pretty loaded bench to be having t- in terms of just mm-hmm. money with Rui and Vanderbilt in that sense uh, w- versus Prince coming in. But that at times against smaller teams or against te- like how can he hold up against the best wings? We he didn't have to do that a ton um, in Minnesota. So I'm I like the concept of the matchup thing, but that that kind of cuts into some of that continuity of mm-hmm. lineup. And then I'm thinking, well, that is almost never there in the NBA regular season anyway, because at least one guy is always missing time and you have to be switching your lineups around. So it's it's like we have this. What's the ideal version of what they're going to do? Maybe that's not what you're going to get with year 21 Mm -hmm. of LeBron and, you know, with Anthony Davis and with all of the rest of these guys. And you certainly can't make an argument against the versatility of what Darvin can do um, with all of these options. Um, I'm. I'm just until proven otherwise, I'm sort of over index over indexing towards energy and defense alongside sure. LeBron and AD to get him through the regular season. Uh, and of the players that they have, I think Vanderbilt can do that the best, uh, even at the expense of the shooting and of the spacing. But I'm I'm open. The good news is the baseline of this team is good enough now where I think you can afford to play yeah, around yeah. with this a little bit as opposed to like starting two and ten. You know, because things just don't fit at all because enough of this stuff is going to fit. Okay. I wanted to sort of wrap up on one last idea that I wanted to kick to you too, because I think it's important one is we often talk about the value of the playoffs and the playoffs and the playoffs. And of course we do. The goal is to win the NBA championship. And Mike made a good point earlier about sort of the last thing that we saw was the Lakers get eliminated at the hands of the Nuggets. And it was with Vando and even D'Lo to a certain extent, which we've had conversations about him this summer. Yeah, I want to do a pod about him soon. Yeah, those guys sort of being relegated to to bench roles or their value being diminished based off of how they played during the playoffs, which isn't as true for D'Lo, honestly. Like he had a couple of good 
impactful series, I think, against oh, very Golden much State so. Memphis. Yeah. But this is another. Just happened in a different order for, than it did for Rui. So Yes, different topic for a different day. But I don't want to use a mic term over-index towards the playoffs when the regular season is still 82 games long and you need 82-game players. Like Draymond talked about that idea of an 82-game player versus a 16-game player. And we skew towards the 16-game player because like that's the goal. But let's not act like the 82-game player isn't super important. And Jared Vanderbilt, to me, is an 82-game player. Yes. He's a dude who helps you all throughout the regular season. He does take – he's a grab-and-go player. So he, like, takes some usage at times and takes some shot creation duties at times. He helps facilitate transition Mm -hmm. baskets, which are the easiest points that you can get, but not always the easiest baskets to generate. That's right. Right? And and so there's a lot that he does that helps you win regular season basketball games, which also help you in playoff seeding. So I just wanted to sort of talk about that idea and kick it to both of you about that, because I think it's important. Well, Pete, I'm going to pass this on to you, but I I mentioned this in passing. I think the first the first comment I made on this pod. But how does a guy take his treat his offseason? when he doesn't live up to maybe even his own expectations in that last playoff round. In other words, like maybe Vanderbilt was pissed, hopefully at Mm -hmm. least, and he worked his ass off all summer and he comes back a better player. Remember, he's still young. So this is the thing where we know how LeBron, we know what he's been doing with his workout. There's no concerns there. You know what? Maybe, maybe there's some upside remaining in a couple of these guys uh, who, who didn't. And and that's the thing that, um, that hopefully the Lakers will see. And if not, then they do have all of these other options. Like if if you didn't get better, if the workouts weren't great, you know, if there isn't an additional element to Vanderbilt's game, then part of that will be on him. And that will go against the whole argument that we've been making. But even if he stays the same player that he was, yes, Darius just yes. hit on Pete, like there's there's enough value there. Well, and help he helps in such unique ways, like Darius was saying as well, in that that's exactly why he's worth investing in, both in terms of the contract, but also the, hey, let's figure out a, a, a part of the game where Vando can also be the 16 game player, right? Because he's such a wonderful 82 game player that if he drops off in the playoffs, you lose something about your team. Like we don't have another Jared Vanderbilt on this roster. There's nobody else who does what he does. And so the the hope is that over the course of 82, you can get to a point where like, hey, this is something that can sustain into the playoffs. And I think that surrounding him with jump shooting um, and putting him in a position where he can be a role man and the pain isn't clogged with other guys whose jumper jumper that the other team doesn't respect quite as much. I think that that's one of the paths to that. So this has been super fun. Uh, Got to wrap up here. We will be back in a couple of days. Uh, to, I'd love to talk some D-Lo with you guys. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires again, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good! Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. 
Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.